is biblical justice, just the basic definition. And we typically read a fairly large section of scripture, uh, but we're going to read one phrase, and then we're going to pick up a bunch of other text as we go along uh, this morning. But the, the passage is Psalm 89, verse 14. Psalm 89, verse 14, and it, it states this, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of Yahweh's throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of Yahweh's throne. Let's pray, and we'll talk a little bit about what biblical justice is according to Scripture. God, we come to you uh, this morning, and we just ask your help. We, we, we're doing this in the midst of heat. Uh, we're doing the work of live stream, ultimately, because you call us to do these things. You promise to bless your word as we look into it and consider it. And so even this morning, as we sweat, <laughs> um, as we work, as we work to get our eyes upon your word, I pray that you, by your spirit, would make it profitable, that you would teach us, that you would enlighten our own minds and hearts to the issue of biblical justice. So help us to that end, we pray, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's been a difficult time within our nation. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, everyone realizes that. Um, many in, during this time are politically and emotionally charged um, it's been a sad time, it's been a disappointing time, it's been um, even a disgusting time, uh, specifically with the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. Not to mention uh, even the deaths of some of the police officers who uh, were working during the times of the protest and the riots. Um, not to even mention some of the protesters themselves who lost their lives over the last couple weeks. Uh, it's been a devastating time. It's been, again, politically and emotionally charged. There's a array of perspectives and, and, and desired solutions to all that uh, we've seen. And it can be, I don't know about you, but it can be so dizzying. You go online, you go into social media, and it can be just a dizzying experience to begin to think about the solutions that should be brought to the injustices that we have faced over the last so many weeks. Um, all to say this is that within this time, we need something of a biblical foundation. We need, we need a starting block to be able to process what stands before us we need a biblical perspective. We need a biblical perspective specifically on biblical justice. Now, even as we begin to think about biblical justice and get into what biblical justice is, uh, it's important to recognize that it, this will not necessarily make all the issues in our culture simple. It just doesn't provide for us a, a simple answer to all the things that are going on. In some cases, it may make issues simple. It may actually make other issues more complex. So biblical justice just doesn't make things simple. And secondly, it certainly doesn't align everyone to the same side of the political aisle. Understanding biblical justice does not kind of carry this one-size-fits-all political perspective. There is going to be diversity even after 
we've understood biblical justice from scripture itself. So what's the hope of going through something like biblical justice? Well, my hope is that it kind of lays our own hearts bare, especially during a time like this. I hope it'll pro- provide something of kind of check, a check and balance, perhaps correction even to the motives and perspectives that we carry. I hope it'll be something of a foundation for us so that we can humbly, compassionately, and even courageously make a difference in this broken world. Um, and perhaps even as a church, this has been a prayer as I've been studying through this, that God would even raise up within our own church individuals who say, we, we, we want to kind of lead the church, perhaps as a diaconate, perhaps as a committee, in diving into these particular issues um, that we face. So perhaps the Lord would accomplish something like that in the near future for us. Biblical justice is an important category especially in the culture that we live. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to answer the question, what is biblical justice? As we move forward through this series, we're going to consider why we should do biblical justice, and we're going to also consider how we do biblical justice, and finally, we'll spend a handful of weeks on the issue of racial reconciliation. So, ready to dive in? Yeah? Maybe? Kind of? Uh, All right. All right, good. Rich is there. (laughs) What is biblical justice? So just a basic definition. When we think of biblical justice, we, I don't know about you, but I I tend to think of lady justice, right? There she is with her blindfold on. She's holding out the scales, you know, and, and, and there, there is justice. You typically have the, the courtroom scene where it's the, the judge and the jury and the plaintiff and the defendant and the trial takes place and something of a verdict is rendered and if there's innocence, well, you're free, but if there's guilt, well, there's punishment to pay. Oftentimes, our view of justice is largely retributive or punitive justice. It's kind of like the bad guy needs to get what's coming to him kind of a perspective. But the biblical idea of justice is way more than that. It's way more. It's nothing less than the courtroom scene and determining innocence and guilt, but it's something far more than that, and that's why it's important for us to consider. And there are two particular terms throughout, specifically the Old Testament, that shed light on this idea of biblical justice. They are the very two words that come from Psalm 89, verse 14, which state, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. If you want to know what biblical justice is, you have to deal with these two particular terms because they are the terms that shed light upon this definition of biblical justice. So let's take the first term, justice. Uh, Hebrew, it's... and not to just like throw around weird terms, but it's, it's a mishpat, right? The importance of knowing that is because as you go throughout the Old Testament, it's gonna be kind of rendered differently in terms of its translation. And so it's, it's important at times to know, okay, what are we talking about? What, what Hebrew word are we talking about? Justice or mishpat is treating people fairly. As simple as that. Now, this particular term is utilized 420 times in the Old Testament, which means this, that it's an important theme for the church to recognize. It's it's important 
uh, issue, it's important subject matter for the church to consider. If, if 420 times this particular word is used, God is saying, hey, this is something that's important to me. Biblical justice is important to God. Now, this word justice, mishpat, can be most simply defined as treating people fairly. So you have texts like Leviticus 24, verse 22, which states this, have the same law, the same mishpat, the same justice for the foreigner as for the native. In other words, individuals aren't supposed to be tried on the basis of ethnicity or social status, but on the credibility of the evidence at hand, right? It's to be equitable. It's to be fair. You are to treat people fairly. Of course, then, this is retributive justice. It is punitive. It has the idea of the courtroom. But as one scholar says, he says, the far majority of the use of this word, upwards of 90% of the time, the use of this word is not retributive. In other words, it doesn't have to do with the courtroom scene. It actually has everything to do with restorative justice not retributive justice. It's the idea that not only should the bad guy get what's coming to him, but those who are most vulnerable in a given society should get help. Justice is not only treating people fairly in the courtroom, but supporting them and defending those who are vulnerable or disadvantaged in a given society so that they have something of a fair swing at life. How do we see this in the Old Testament? Well, you have, you have this kind of language repeated again and again. Like, we would be here in this heat all morning and afternoon going over the verses that, that mention these particular things. But Zephaniah chapter 7 says this. It says, administer true justice, mishpat. Do not oppress, and here's the socially vulnerable in their day, the widow or the fatherless, or the immigrant, or the poor. This is kind of the, the quartet of the socially vulnerable that scripture will focus on again and again. When you go into the Psalms, you see these individuals mentioned again and again. You go to the prophets, you see them mentioned again and again. Jeremiah 22, he'll say, do what is just, mishpat again. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been wronged, do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, there it is again, the fatherless, the widow, or the poor. The idea here is not that if God's people fail to do these things, well, they just aren't charitable, right? They're just unaware, they're just kind of ignorant. No, God would say that even if you fail to do this restorative justice, you yourself are guilty of injustice. So the prophets, most of the prophets are written in this time of the exile. God's people are removed from their land. They're judged in this way, disciplined in this way, that they are removed from their own land, and they're taken into Babylon. And one of the primary reasons why God brings judgment upon his people is because they turn their heads to the injustice of the day. They turn their heads away from the vulnerable who are in need. And God does not see that as merely a lack of charity or you're just kind of unaware. No, they're responsible to be aware. This is not what I plan to go into, but 
we need to set the foundation for the issues at hand. We are responsible to understand something of the history of our nation. We are responsible to know why there is this incredible outcry, particularly from the black community. We are responsible to know these. Ignorance is not an option when it comes to these concerns. For God and his people in the Old Testament, he didn't just give them a slap on the wrist and say, be more charitable, be more aware. No, he says, actually, your unawareness, your lack of charity, your turning of the head from the vulnerable before you is an act of injustice itself. Now, you sit back and say, why so extreme, God? Like, why, why are you being so harsh? Well, for a few reasons. Because humanity, of course, is unique to all of their creation and that we are created in God's image, right? There is a God-likeness. There is an inherent dignity value woven into the very fabric of our being, no matter the ethnicity, the age, or social status. And therefore, there is a standard of fairness that all are deserving of. There is a standard of equity that all should be shown. But moreover, it's not only the fact that we carry in ourselves as human beings this dignity, and therefore we should be treated fairly, but it's also that God himself is the one who rises up against such injustice. That is, when it comes to this idea of restorative justice, he himself uniquely takes up the cause of the vulnerable. So we see passages like Deuteronomy chapter 10, which states, the Lord your God, Yahweh, what does he do? He defends the mishpat, the justice, the fairness. He defends the cause, listen, of the fatherless. He defends the cause of the widow. Look at the language is so interesting. He loves the immigrant. He loves the immigrant. And he gives them food and clothing. This is God who's saying, I'm going to stand up. Where you fail to stand up, this is my cause. My cause is to defend the vulnerable. And he will remind his people in Deuteronomy 10, and you are to love those who are immigrants because you were once immigrants in Egypt. In other words, you know, we all know on some level what it feels like to be treated unfairly with a lack of accordance to the very dignity we bear as human beings. It's not to excuse the fact that we in America have plenty of privilege. But nonetheless, it's to recognize we've all felt need and therefore we should recognize that we need to defend the cause of the vulnerable as God defends the cause of the vulnerable. And God makes it very, he makes that connection between us imaging him in this defense of the vulnerable by Proverbs chapter 14. Notice what he says, whoever insults the poor, right, whoever Whoever fails to bring that justice, whoever is ignorant to bring that justice, whoever is, you know, lacks the charity, whoever insults the poor insults their maker. But whoever honors the needy honors God. It sounds like Jesus in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, what's done to the least of these is done to who? Me, right? So justice is the foundation of God's throne. 
Therefore, all made in the image of God are made to do the same. If his cause is to defend the vulnerable, that should be our cause too. And that's why it carries such weight. Folks, when it comes down to it, this is biblical justice. It is, it carries the idea of being retributive, that courtroom scene, but it is also restorative, defending the cause of the vulnerable. Now, even so, even with mishpat, justice, being defined that way, it still doesn't get the full picture of biblically what biblical justice is. So, we, all, we, we recognize that the foundation of God's throne is not only righteousness, but also this word justice. The idea, again, the Hebrew is zedekah, right? It's doing right by another. And so it's these two terms, righteousness and justice, that are, are used over 50 times in the Old Testament. They're, they're intended to be twin terms. They're to, intended to be kind of reflective of one another. They're intended to go with one another in understanding what biblical justice is all about. So with this term righteousness, again, like with justice, you think of the courtroom scene and Lady Justice standing there. When it comes to righteousness, we typically think of morality. Like, do you check off, can you check off the boxes on the Ten Commandments? Are you righteous? And, and that certainly is in view here, but again, when it comes to this term, it is far more than that. The idea of righteousness is the idea of being in right relationship to someone else. And it carries with it kind of this social perspective. For those who are disadvantaged, it's saying, I want to be in right standing with you. I want to pull you up to, to, to give you a fair swing, so to speak, at life. And so literally, this idea of justice is to do right by someone. It, it, it's for them to say to you, you've done right by me. Like, you, you've met my need. You've given me a standing. You, you've given me something to actually now not only survive in life, but actually thrive in life. And so it's this the idea of righteousness is, is that they, those who are vulnerable, would have what they need to stand in this life in all their God-given dignity. So righteousness demands that in some sense that we actually make the problems of others our own that we would make their problems our problems, that we would actually take responsible, responsibility for the vulnerable. And scripture demonstrates that a right relationship with God, if you're rightly related to God, then the, the inevitable outworking, the produce of that relationship is going to be this kind of righteousness, that you're going to take responsibility for others. You're gonna make their problems your problems as those who are vulnerable. So the idea of righteousness is illustrated in Job 29. Job states this, and, and notice what he's doing. He's taking responsibility for others. He says, I rescued the poor who cried for help. I just didn't turn my head. I just didn't say, oh, someone else will, will, will get that. No, I rescued the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless who had none to assist him, I rescued him. The man who was dying, it's beautiful language, he blessed me. Why? Because I served him. I helped him. I made his problem my own problem. 
He says, I made the widow's heart sing. Oh, what, what language, right? Incredible. I put, he says, I put righteousness, Zedekiah, I put, I put righteousness on as my clothes. In other words, it just wasn't a one-off thing to just kind of say, okay, yeah, I did biblical justice, but he, this is a, a way of life for Job. He said, I put righteousness on as my clothes. Justice, Mishpat, was my robe and my turban. He says, I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the immigrant. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched victims from their teeth. You see, righteousness, this term of righteousness, takes justice a bit further in its restorative work. Literally, what righteousness does is say, I realize what your problem is, and I'm going to make your problem my problem so that you might thrive in all of your God-given dignity. It's what Job did. He became eyes for the blind. He became feet for the lame. He became a father to the fatherless. He made their problems his own. Bruce Walke, one of, uh, one of the scholars, Old Testament scholars out there, says it this way. He says, the righteous one, the one who does righteousness, he willingly disadvantages himself for the advantage of the community. He gives himself. He takes on the problems of others so that the community can be advantaged, that the society can be advantaged. Righteousness, then, is incredibly costly, but as we'll see, it is wonderfully godly. For righteousness and justice are the foundation of Yahweh's throne in all of God's authoritative and sovereign actions in redemptive history, these two elements are central. In other words, righteousness and justice. These are the twin terms, when coupled together, that most rightly define what biblical justice is. So we could say it this way. Biblical justice is the active work of making others' problems my problems, so that all are treated fairly according to their God-given dignity. It's the act of work of making others' problems my problems, so that all are treated fairly according to their God-given dignity. Now, I want to take up a challenge to that as we kind of close things out, because it's hot. <laughs> Some will say, Dan, that is the Old Testament. Right? That, that's all about the Old Testament. Mishmat, Zadokah, righteousness, justice. They, you know, that's all Old Testament stuff. And in the Old Testament, God was working with a nation state, Israel. And so, of course, there's going to be governing systems and there's going to be policies that are embedded into the law of Israel. That was then, but this is now. We're not a nation state. We're the church. We're a spiritual family. So, you know, this, this idea of social justice or biblical justice isn't something that we got to be concerned about. We just need to kind of, kind of tend to our own souls. That is a real pushback. By the way, it's a real pushback, even right now in the heat of all the, the discussions around racial reconciliation. So, how do we navigate that? What, where should we go with that? Well, we should probably examine the New Testament, and here's what I just want to do briefly. I want to recognize the fact that, yes, government is 
important, and government should put into policies that which demonstrates something of biblical justice. We see that in Romans chapter 13 in particular, but that does not excuse us as God's people, the church, to be about this work of biblical justice. And how can that be? Well, we, we see that biblical justice is essential to Jesus' ministry, to Jesus' teaching, and to the work of Christ himself upon the cross. So those three things, just briefly. In the midst of Jesus' ministry, when John the Baptist, you know, he's, he's in prison, and he's doubting Jesus, trying to figure out, okay, is Jesus really the Messiah? He sends messengers to Jesus to, to, to ask Jesus, are you really the guy? Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus says to these messengers, Matthew chapter 11, he says, go tell John that the blind receive their sight. There's the vulnerable in that day. The lame, they walk. There's the vulnerable in that day. The leprous are healed. There's the outcast of the day. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus grave, gave great time and attention to the vulnerable again and again. And even when he gave attention to those who would be on the upper crust of society, he was always going about this work to shatter their social kind of stratification. He was always teaching them. Take, for instance, Zacchaeus. He's one who had great wealth. He stood above others in society. And what does Jesus do? He changes his heart so that... Zacchaeus is not disadvantaging the community for his own good, but actually the other way around. He now disadvantages himself for the good of community. This is the way Jesus' ministry went. Jesus would again and again in his ministry challenge the social structures of the day. He would confront feminism. He would confront racism. Even as he engages the Samaritan woman at the well, John 4, he would intentionally cross the Sea of Galilee to restore a social outcast who was afflicted by a legion of demons. He would receive the woman of the city, the prostitute, against the religious elite ideals of the day. He would feed the 5,000. He would challenge the socially elite, those like the rich man. In Luke chapter 18... And not only that, but Jesus would regularly give attention and care to children. So Jesus' ministry is one that exemplified this idea of justice and righteousness. It exemplified biblical justice. So, beyond Jesus' ministry, justice is clearly taught in Jesus' teaching in Luke 10, that famous parable of the Good Samaritan. He would intentionally teach about loving your neighbor by confronting, again, the racism of the day between Jews and Samaritans. He would teach the disciples then in Luke 14 that if you throw a party, don't just invite those who can kind of pay you back to maintain something of your social standing with the upper crust crew. No, he actually says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In other words, Invite those to your party that actually can't pay you back. In a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus outlines the ethics of his kingdom. And, and he doesn't just command it, but he assumes it. it it's like he, he assumes that biblical justice should be the way of his kingdom. And he says, when you do works of righteousness, when you care for the vulnerable, when you make others' problems your problems, right? 
When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet. <laughs> like, don't be arrogant about it. Like, this is just a part of what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. He's one who is about the work of biblical justice. So whether it's Jesus on ministry, whether it's his teaching, or now even in his suffering, he demonstrates something of biblical justice. Philippians 2, you can't get away from the language. What does Jesus do? He goes from a place of exaltation down to a place of humiliation. He takes on the limitations of man. He steps into our broken world. He steps into our broken world as the king of the universe, right? Born into this manger to a couple teenagers who have nothing. He's raised in Nazareth, which is backwoods nowhere kind of a place. And he's raised in that condition in poverty and lowliness. And he's one who comes from heaven to that position. And why? Well, ultimately, as, Psalm, or, uh, as Philippians 2 says, to be put to death, to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What did Jesus do? He came from a place of exaltation to a place of humiliation. And in doing that, what did he do? He made our problem his own. We couldn't get out of our problem. So what does Jesus do? He becomes obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. While we were still his enemies, he stooped down to our level. He suffered in our place. And the cross then is that which demonstrates something of personal justice that he brings to us. He brings to us something of retributive justice. He pays the penalty we deserve, but he also brings restorative justice to us. He gives us a relationship with, with God. He reconciles us to God. He gives us a position in the family of God. He seats us, for crying out loud, in heavenly places. This is what Jesus does. This is the biblical justice rendered through the cross. But you also must not forget that the cross was not only about personal justice, but cosmic justice. Jesus, one day, because of the cross, will come back again and will have the right to judge the world in all of its brokenness and all of its sin. And to judge the world will mean that he will separate sin from our experience so that there is to be said that there is no stain of sin left. He will bring perfect retributive justice to this world. But it won't only be retributive, it will be restorative. He will make all things new one day. It's why in Revelation chapter 5, all of heaven erupts, declaring, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Worthy are you to bring judgment upon the earth, to bring restoration to the earth, why are you worthy? Because you were slain. Because you went to that cross to become the perfect judge, to become the perfect restorer of this world. Jesus has the right to bring about perfect justice for once again, all authority is his and his authority, as Psalm 89, verse 14 says, is built 
upon righteousness and justice. It is the foundation of his throne. The question then in this time between Jesus' ministry, his coming, his suffering, and his return, well, who now is to stand in the gap? Who is to represent this God of righteousness and justice? Ta-da, it's us. It's the church. The church is to be those who stand in the gap, who actually take on the responsibility of this biblical justice. And so we even see them represented throughout the New Testament. Acts 2, as the church is gathered, as it's kind of revived and and, and brought about in Acts 2, we see that no one has need within the church. (laughs) This is incredible. There's absolutely no need represented in in the church. But then later on, what we see is these, this call, specifically Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, which says, do good to all, 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 especially the household of faith. Be about this work of biblical justice beyond the walls, but yes, give particular attention to the community within the walls. It's why James will eventually say, true religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, and to keep one unstained from the world. That is, don't give in to the social stratification of the day. Don't think that you're something significant because of your race, because of your wealth, because of your education. True, true religion cares for the orphans and the widows, the vulnerable in their affliction. The church is to represent Christ. It is to represent his rule, his kingdom on earth. And if his throne is established on righteousness and justice, therefore our responsibility as his people who carry out his rule, his kingdom, and represent him in this world must be then that of biblical justice. Biblical justice, therefore, is not some sort of pastime thing, Old Testament thing. It's essential to our life in Christ now. So... To just summarize, biblical justice is the active work of making others' problems my problems so that all are treated fairly according to their God-given dignity. Just to say it, it's not first about political perspectives. It's not about defending some sort of personal significance or defending even certain ideologies. It's about looking at the Word of God, understanding what the Word of God says of biblical justice, and therein beginning the work of becoming an agent of biblical justice. So my hope is that really, especially during these times, we would not only understand this biblical justice, but also then that we would honor Christ, the one whose throne, whose kingdom is built on righteousness and justice. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's hot. But God, we, we confess that even sweating a bit in order to look into your word is nothing in comparison really to what you call us to, to represent the king himself 
who made our problems his own and has seated us in heavenly places, who's given us a position in the family of God, one that cannot be taken away, one that cannot be undone. But Jesus, you've come and you've shown us. You've been the kind of the epitome, uh, illustration of what it is to do biblical justice. And so, Jesus, we honor you and we ask then that even during this time within our own community, within our own nation, God, that you would teach us, beginning from this foundation work of what biblical justice is, that we would, we would be agents who would represent you well to become agents of biblical justice in this world, to see something of transformation realized, to see something of your kingdom known in greater measure. So God, help us. Help us to do that. And God, I do pray that as we consider these things, that it would, it would set a healthy trajectory for even considering the more kind of dicey situations right now that we're facing, particularly that of racial reconciliation. As we do that, I also pray, God, that you would give us eyes for other areas of, of injustice that are occurring within our nation. So God, we wanna be the people that you've died to receive. We would be agents of biblical justice for your name's sake, for your honor, for your glory. May it be in Jesus' name.
instead of a benediction, um, I want to go back to where we began this morning. Such a helpful text. When you think about the responsibility that was laid before us to make the vulnerable's problems our problems, that can seem daunting. <laughs> but let's be reminded of God's heart who honors just simple steps. So Matthew chapter 10, and that final verse, verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, that's the simplicity of biblical justice, right? It's not some grand thing. It's not some uh, heavy-weighted, got to go way out of our way to make something happen. No, even in these simple moments, as the Spirit would lead, to give even one of these little ones a cold cup of water because he's a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So make biblical justice simple. It's simple. It's not a high bar of Christianity. It's actually quite a low bar. It's to simply recognize the needs of those around you. And by God's grace, with the leading that he provides, to do something about it. So let me pray to that end, then we'll close. God, thank you for the example that you've set before us, that you so often care about the vulnerable in ways that we... Um, we remain ignorant too. So God, thank you that you see what we don't see, but also thank you that you set an example for us. So even as a church, God, I, I thank you for the many ways that your church does this. Thank you for, for I think many of you who have given their, their careers to biblical justice. They're doing the work of tending to the broken, to the vulnerable, to the hurting. And God, thank you for all the other spheres then of, of vocation and even the demonstrations of love and care to those with on the block and our neighbors themselves. Thank you for all the testimonies that go into recognizing you're already doing an incredible work through your church. So we thank you for the example that you set. We thank you for the work that you're already accomplishing within your church. But now I just pray, God, that you would give us wisdom to navigate the more complex and perhaps tense situations of our day. Give us wisdom, give us clarity by your grace. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, you guys.